Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Gus, I feel like we should just fast forward to Saturday. I know we can't, but I feel like we should because there's no doubt in my mind, my friend, that it's Gonzaga, it's St. Mary's, it's 515, and there's no doubt in my mind St. Mary's is winning this game. Already? Like, we didn't even talk about anything yet. Right off the bat. Already? Right off the bat. Let's go to it. Welcome to the Screen to Screener podcast where we talk all things (laughs) NCAA basketball with you. I'm Mike Randall here with Gus Kearns as always. We are excited. It is February, Gus. March Madness is upon us. Big games, big upsets, teams losing, and our Gonzaga-St. Mary's game on Saturday. By the way, can Shemek stop favoriting your tweets? Love, Love the big Shem. What's up out there, big chef? Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. I know that's way out of order, but stick with us here. We want to welcome <laughs> you to the Screen the Screener podcast. We are unbelievably excited to bring you the slate of games because this weekend was absolutely bananas, people. We are crafting this college basketball podcast on February 6th, the week, uh, the Monday after the wild weekend. Mike and I are excited to bring it to you. We just want to get exactly to it, and we just want to say ahoy out there to the almighty Ballers Network. If you are looking for some more NBA talk along with your college basketball sprinkling that Mike and I are going to bring you, please check these guys out. They are amazing. They have individual team podcasts so you can stick in with your team. Really impressive. Happy to partner with those guys. Please go ahead and check them out. That's right, folks. Uh, very excited to talk to you about today. We have a million things to discuss today. So much to pack into this. We're going to try to keep it to our normal time, but stay with us. If you love college basketball, you have stumbled upon our podcast, do not leave. In fact, please do us a favor. Go rate us on iTunes, Screen the Screener Podcast on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. If you search under College Basketball Podcast YouTube, we will put little small clips up. We put up Gus's diatribe against Coach K, which, by the way, Gus got some venom, by the way, from, from the Duke fans. It was, it was fantastic. Nice. It was Beautiful. fantastic. Uh, my rant on Virginia uh, is up there as well, and it will be another rant, I can tell you, after today. We have a, a lot of stuff going on. Warren Stitcher, Warren TuneIn Radio. You can find us on Twitter, at SDS Podcast. You can find myself at Fantasy Warrior Mike, FTSY Warrior Mike, and Gus at C Kearns 12 but without further ado, Gus, we got to dive right in. Like you're diving into the water the first time in the summer. You're not sure how cold the water is going to be, but you can't wait to get in the pool. Let's hit some news and notes. News and notes from the hardwood. Gus, the AP poll is out, and number one, Gonzaga got more votes than ever. 59 first place votes for your Final Four team. They are 24 and 0. Second place, Villanova got the other six. They're 22 and 2. Rest of the top 10, Gus, goes like this. Kansas is number three, Louisville four, Oregon five, the big move uh, after the huge win over Arizona. Six is Baylor, seven, Wisconsin, eight, the Tar Heels, nine, Arizona had the big drop. Ten, UCLA, also of note, by the way, as we get close to Valentine's Day, my friend, Cincinnati is now number 11. Go Bearcats! Uh, Florida with a huge win over Kentucky, now number 17. And we do welcome back Xavier. This is worth noting who after losing Edmund Sumner has now beaten Seton Hall and a big win at Creighton, never easy, went on the road, beat a tough Creighton team, and Gus, don't look now, but St. Mary's is number 21. So I love that Gonzaga has that many first-place votes. I'm unbelievably impressed that the voters have this right. Uh, That top 10 is out of control. You could pull any of those teams from a hat um, a Milwaukee's buck, a Milwaukee Bucks hat, if you don't mind, and you could probably pick them for the Final Four without any uncertainty at all. Um, that top ten is loaded, and it's very volatile, as we will get to uh, in our little rundown here. Uh, but man, how about Cincinnati knocking on the door for your top ten, Mick Cronin and your Bearcats? There they are. Yeah, you have to have, as you go into your brackets, folks, and we'll have breakdowns on brackets as we get close to March, advice, trends, statistics. The one advice I'll give you right now, you have to determine whether you're going to go for these defensive teams or not. Are you a Cincinnati guy? Yes or no. Are you a Virginia guy or girl, I should say? Yes or no. The St. Mary's of the world. What is your strategy going to be? And you have to look at the matchups. But Cincinnati is as tough as anyone. They're almost in the top 10. Mick Cronin, they've done a great job all year. 
really impressed. I hope that they continue climbing. And if we have another weekend like we had last weekend, they'll, they will not only crap, not be knocking on the door to that top 10, They will the door will be open and they'll just jump right in and take those spots that somebody lost. So Dr. Tony will not be with us this evening, but Dr. Tony did give us a few views that we're going to read to you guys. So we're going to hit these like, I don't know, We'll call this like Dr. Tony's like three-pointer prescription or something. What do, you, what do you think, Gus? He went to Mario's or Dominic's? That's always the question on Arthur Avenue. Whatever he did, he had too much pasta. Uh, I think either way you win there. I'm okay with either oh, one. Oh, 100%. Ugh. Dr. Tony's first prescription is for the MAAC, the MAC, and we notice that this is now looking like a two-horse race. Mammoth is holding a two-game advantage with a hot Iona um, that just won't go away. If the Hawks manage to trip up somewhere, that last regular season game, just like you mentioned, you threatened to take us uh, to Mario Rivera Steakhouse over this. Oh, it's you? on. It's totally on. If that game matters, it's on right now. I'm telling you. So if they trip up, that game is definitely going to matter at the end of the season. St. Peter's is fighting like heck to keep pace, but the Peacocks have just dropped their last two, and they had a home matchup with a serviceable Canisius team aside this week. Uh after a stretch of success with Niagara and Siena winning opening and first round games in the last three consecutive tournaments, it's been eight long years since an MAAC champion has won a first round NCA game. Perhaps the ghost of 2012. Do you remember that game, that Iona game against uh, BYU in the play-in? I went to bed. They got out to such a huge lead. Um, it, it, it had to be over 20, and then BYU came storming back the second half. And it seems like the MAAC has never been able to recover. Yeah, totally true. That game, I remember I went to bed. It was like 43-20, to 20, something like that. We loved Iona that year. It was very excited. Scott Machado, that whole crew. And, yeah. and tough loss there for Tim Clues. But they're, they're a great team. But, folks, Mammoth is the real deal. We will get to the game that they beat St. Peter's in overtime very soon. By the way, we had confirmation. We will have Coach King Rice on the podcast this week. Again, screen the screener, getting fortunate. People are giving us their time. King Rice, the head coach of Monmouth Gus, and you know what I'm going to tell them. They should have been in that tournament last year. The first thing I'm going to tell them, they are going out and playing people, and they're first place in the MAC again. Can we also have a mini discussion with him about the best players under six feet in the nation, including his own Robinson? Oh, no doubt. That discussion? 100%. No doubt. He, he will talk about it. Really excited to have King Rice on the show. Head coach of Monmouth is coming on as well. By the way, tonight, Gus, Canisius 72, St. Peter's 70 at St. Oh. Peter's. Bad luck. So St. Peter's, they no. went all in on that Monmouth game, and it really hurt them. So it's going to be Iona or it's going to be Monmouth. Monmouth right now is a two-game lead. That game could matter in Iona in New Rochelle. Maybe we'll broadcast live from uh, New Rochelle. Who knows? You never know what could happen. But uh, that is a huge, huge game. Dr. Tony's first note was very good, I think. That's right on the money. Yeah, I think his first pointer was pretty good. Second point for Dr. Tony goes straight to his heart. The Ivy League update. He says the, the Red Sea is parting with undefeated Princeton, Yale, Harvard, and Columbia, as correctly predicted by Dr. Tony, are pulling away as the top four, and they're looking to put a stranglehold on those first four bids, which remember, if you remember Dr. Tony's uh, uh, prognostication and preview, he went ahead and told you guys that this is the first year that Ivy is going to be holding a postseason tournament in their league history. They're not including every team, so it still adds some urgency to the regular season. Those first four teams are going to get into that tournament, and then the winner of that tournament goes to the goes to March Madness. So a more beautiful creation I cannot he could not imagine. There are big matchups, seeding implications among those four teams this weekend when Columbia travels to Jadwin to face the Tigers, and the Crimson will be the, on the trip to New Haven to face the Bulldogs. So we have the top four teams facing each other directly in the Ivy this weekend. If you're going to shine a light on the Ivy any weekend, this is it. Yeah, it really, I'm really excited. Dr. Tony's the expert here in the Ivy League. I'm really excited for the tournament in the Ivy. It's, it's great. You liked it. The tournaments create momentum, and the momentum can carry you into March and have a lot of success. Best, best example, VCU, George Mason, teams like that. 
So I love the tournament aspect. I think it's great. I think it will help the Ivy be even more live than they already have been. Hello, Yale. Uh, so I love the idea. Can't wait for it. And those are four great teams. You have Harvard, you have Yale, you have Princeton. Those are the dominant teams. And then Columbia, as Dr. Tony predicted, coming in right now fourth. So very excited. Uh, don't forget, Jim Angles is the coach at Columbia. So he's going to give them some legitimacy and some stability. Uh, those four teams, any four of those teams that get into the tournament are going to be live. 100%. Totally agree. Uh, Dr. Tony's two for two. Can he go three for three here, Gus? Is it possible? I, yeah. So his, his, his third pointer, um, again, the, the Dr. Tony prescription uh, three-pointer, is in the Valley. He correctly is going to give you what's up in the Valley, what to pay attention to. He says a huge conference game this past Saturday night, and a line in the sand was drawn with Wichita State absolutely destroying Illinois State atoning for the early season loss to the Redbirds and leaving the two tied atop the conference, each with one loss. If the next four weeks of the season go as planned for these two teams, the MVC tournament will be crucial with the winner gaining the automatic bid and the loser likely finding themselves in an opening round game in the NCAA, with, in the NCAA tournament. You know what? I hope both these teams get in, but I got to tell you, we'll get into that game a little bit later. Wichita State just wiped the floor with him. It was, it was ugly. Yeah, what I did, folks, is, you know, in, in, when you're Catholic, you go to confession, okay? So I go to Gus on Friday night, and I said, what is the deal with this line? Illinois State had beaten Wichita earlier this year by 12. Now Wichita's favored by 9.5. So Gus tells me, of course, that Illinois State's miss, missing their leading score. But he throws in, in true Gus fashion, but by the way, that line's about right, whether they have them or not. And I'm like, how is that possible? They blitzed them. You could have had Michael Jordan on that team, and it wouldn't have made that big a difference. So Gus was locked in again. Wichita State basically said, we'll get into it later. I'm the king. Really impressed with their win. Yeah, we'll get a little deeper into that game in a little bit. But uh, Dr. Tony with his three-point prescription. Thank you, Dr. Tony. We look forward to hearing from you again soon. And uh, hopefully we get him on the podcast live so he can give you guys further prescriptions on how to keep your March brackets healthy. All right, we're going to get into the games here, folks, and we're just going to try to go through these. We have a lot of games, a lot of things to talk about, so we're going to try to do a couple minutes on each. I'm going to do the first one, Gus, and we gave a little nickname to each one of the games here for the people who sort of classify it. I'm going to start with a small one. I just have to, to talk to you about it. We're going to call this the why you shouldn't bet on sports game, okay? So <laughs> Central Michigan is favored by three and a half over Western Michigan on Friday night, all right? So let's say, Gus, hypothetically speaking, you bet on the game. Of course, of course. <laughs> let's say that you took Central Michigan minus three and a half. Fine. Right off the bat, you're getting crushed. 13 minutes left to go in the first half. You're losing 20 to four. 642 left in the first half. You're losing 32-15 by 17 points. And with the three and a half, Gus, that's 20 and, 20 and a half points. <laughs> with one minute left to go in the first half, you're losing 51-37. The reason I'm telling you this is there is no chance that if you bet, hypothetically speaking, on Central Michigan that you're winning this game, right? Three minutes into the second half, you're losing by 18, 63-45. Seven minutes left to go in the game, Gus. You're losing by 12, 77-65. Again, that's 15 and a half, right? Somehow, with two minutes left, you're actually up one. <laughs> okay? Who's doing this on a Friday night? It's a tie game with five seconds left. Now, the NCAA leading scorer, Marcus Keene, hits a three. That's really not ideal for you, right? Because with right. five seconds left, he hits a three. You got three and a half. You really want it overtime, Right. I, I would agree. Did you did you see that shot? I I did not see the shot. Was it? okay? So just just for the listeners out there, it's a <laughs> right. They clear out and 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 they could not have put the four other players further on the other side of the court. <laughs> it was a clear clear out for, for Marcus Keene. All he did was break down his player, pull back three. It was so far away. My daughter was still up, and she looked at me and goes, "Daddy." That is a deep three. <laughs> and I looked over her. I go, you're still awake? <laughs> he falls into his own bench after shooting a three. That's how deep of a three it was. It was amazing. Continue. Sorry. Continue. That, he's nuts. And by the way, he could shoot whenever he wants. There's another guy who I think is live in the NBA. But we'll see what happens. 
So basically, you're sitting there losing, you're losing, right? So, so Central Michigan then decides to foul Western Michigan so that they can't get off the three-pointer, right? See, see, seems like that would be a smart move, right? Right. So they goes along. Thomas Wilder makes the first one. So now you're up two. You're thinking the game's over. He's going to miss it on purpose, and they're going to get the rebound just let the clock run out because it's under five seconds. He misses the second one, three seconds left. Central Michigan then gets the rebound, and Western Michigan decides to foul. <laughs> foul them again for what reason i don't know well i think instead of the foul it was a very questionable out of bounds call Oh, okay so then after the questionable out of bounds call then they went ahead and fouled right away with two seconds left so it was there was a little drama involved with the foul here's the thing even more reason why not to foul once they get the ball back and you you gotta go like the quiz that gonna happen so then he makes the first and makes a second, which free throws today. You never know if he's going to make them both. So if you hypothetically bet, you won by a half point in a game you were losing 20 to 4. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, not a big impact on the, on the March Madness bracket, but Marcus Keene is great. Gus's daughter knows what's going on. And if you bet, you are a happy camper. Daddy, that's a deep three. <laughs> It was was priceless. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, the battle for the MAAC, the MAC. Um, We'll just go over the St. Peter's and Monmouth game. It was a fun game for the battle of the top spot in the MAC. Monmouth fans were fired up, and they started off the game uh, 14-2. St. Peter's pulled it back in. You know, you got to weather that initial storm when you're playing on the, the team's home court, and they're really fired up, and the fans are all fired up. And again, it was one of those Friday night games that nobody else except for the people on campus are paying attention to, which was amazing. So they pulled it back to 29-29, and you think, okay, St. Peter's is back in this thing. We're, we're, we're good to go. This game is live. And remember, Mike mentioned this already. They had already previously beaten Monmouth at home, so they had a win under under their belt already over the Hawks. The game was never separated by more than four points in the second half, and the guy who we just mentioned, Justin Robinson, who needs to be included in the discussion of top players in the nation under six feet tall, and congratulations to him. He also became Monmouth's all-time leading scorer. He sinks two free throws to put Monmouth up two. Portly makes a jumper to send the game into OT, so we have drama across the board in the MAAC. Monmouth holds on to the one-point lead, 71-70, and keeps a two-game lead for the regular season conference title at 11-2 over Iona, who's still hanging around at 9-4. St. Peter's kind of drops out of the conference title race, especially with that loss that you just mentioned to Canisius at 8-5, I guess now 8-6 after that yeah, loss. Yep. So Monmouth definitely has the commanding lead. So if you're going to pay attention, you know, you're always checking your scoreboard if you're a college ba- basketball vagabond like ourselves. And you're ch- if you're checking that conference, like the two teams to pay attention to now are going to be the Iona and the Monmouth scores. So if, my, if Monmouth drops one of these games the next couple of weeks, that game in Iona suddenly becomes unbelievably paramount. Huge, huge in New Rochelle. And I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Monmouth. We're thrilled to have King Rice on later in the week. They should have been in last year. They should be in this year. Really want to see them in. This was an exciting game. Great win for Monmouth. Great atmosphere down there. Uh, Justin Robinson took over after being the leading scorer in Monmouth history. Played fantastic. St. Peter's with a gutty road win. Big, big win for Monmouth. Uh, Very happy for them. Let's see how it plays out. All has to happen, Gus. Like you said, one Monmouth loss loss and no Iona losses makes that a massive game. Right. Uh, So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because these bids in these leagues – are so crucial like it, it, they're they're so valuable that these one big leagues you, you like you have to pay attention to this um especially if like that's your conference or that's your team like there's no other thing to do but start paying attention to these scores every time that they're going to play and you know what the maac does a good job they put their game a couple of their games on friday night when there's no other college games on so they have a little bit of a spotlight just like they did in this past game uh, and the big overtime win for Monmouth. They are live in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Next game, we're moving on. Let's call it, Gus. Don't look now. Here come the Rams. Rhode Island 70, Davidson 59. An 11-point win at Davidson with Jack Gibbs is impressive no matter how you slice it. One of our preseason favorites here at Screen the Screener was Rhode Island. They are 7-3 and three in conference, just one game behind VCU and Dayton for first place in the A-10. They won five out of six after winning that 70-59 game recently at Davidson. 
Tomorrow night, Gus, they travel to UMass against a UMass team that really needs a win in the worst way before before back-to-back home games against Dayton and then Fordham. This is a big game against UMass. E.C. Matthews had 21 points in the Davidson win. Karan Anderson, 13 rebounds. By the way, he had 23 rebounds at Richmond on January 23rd. 23 rebounds, Moses Malone-esque. And senior Hassan Martin has had 20-plus points in three of their last five. Gus, here come the Rams. Here's my only take on this game, and I put my eyes on this game for a little bit just for the E.C. Matthews, uh, Jack Gibbs uh, matchup. And I think the early part of the season, E.C. Matthews just didn't look all the way healthy. We're, we're wondering and looking at box scores and saying like, oh, you know, what's wrong with the Rams? What's wrong with E.C. Matthews? You know, he was a borderline, like maybe honorable mention All-American. And you know what? I just don't think he was all the way healthy yet. And I think now this last stretch of like two or three games and watching him against Davidson and seeing some of the pop and seeing him turn a corner on a pick and roll, he looks almost all the way back now. I think that that change is the reason for here come the Rams. I think because he is finding health and getting near 100%. I don't even think he's 100% yet, but he's getting closer. I think if if he can continue to get healthier, the rest of the season, and he is like near 100% March, look out. This team's very live. Very, very true. Let's go to one of our favorite places and one of your favorite guys. The Cyclones are going to shock the Jayhawks at Fog Allen. Iowa State, 92. Number three, Kansas, 89. In overtime. Very dramatic game. This had the perfect storm for a Jayhawk loss. You ready for the recipe here? We're going to give you the recipe, mix everything in the bowl, and we're going to come up with a Jayhawk loss. Get it cooking. They are coming off a huge emotional win at Rupp versus Kentucky. You only have so many huge efforts during the season, I feel, as like an athlete or as a a team. You know, somewhere between three and nine giant efforts, and that was one of the giant efforts that they burned against Kentucky for sure. Um, Iowa State has always given self and Kansas fits, uh, even when the mayor was there. And you know what? Monte Morris wanted to have a, hey, don't forget about me on your all-American teams, people, type game um, against the guy who was going to be, is most likely holding down that first-team all-American spot right now, Frank Mason III. There's too much off-the-court static for Kansas, too. Uh, Vic and Jackson have some off-court issues, like, swirling around over them. And they're already down two bigs. And with that, and that's like the one advantage that you need over the small Cyclone team. If you had a big that you can kind of uh, post off of and then repost and then kick back out, that's going to do well against the Cyclones. They didn't even have that advantage against them. And you know what else? The Cyclones are just desperate to get a big win. They needed to get a win to be on the right side of March. Deontay Burton and his cool kicks went off again. At Fran Fischilla said it perfectly with Burton's late game three. He's like, no, 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 yes! Everybody was shaking their head when he put that three up, and then when it went down, everybody just kept giving him high fives. Great shot, great shot. The Jayhawks continue to tr- uh, continue the weekend trend that most top teams had the entire weekend. Look out. It's tough out there in February. You might just take a loss, and the Jayhawks did too. Yeah, the best thing you said is Jayhawks had this one coming. They've played so well. They've been shorthanded, distractions off the court. Carlton Bragg is back, by the way. Kansas is up five right now at K-State after being down big time. So this is this could be a right-to-ship game for them. They're really, really good. Bragg is back. Vic, it seems like he's going to be okay. Had a tremendous dunk tonight. This was an expected game. Well said. Iowa State is a gritty veteran team. They've had a down year. But Morris, of course, can take the game over by himself. Burton is the key guy. Burton was rolling. He was hot. I think they hit 18 three-pointers, right, like us. I mean, that that's yes. just – that's you hit 18 three-pointers and the road just going to shake your head. But they, they always play well there. They've played well. There was some stat the last five times. It's been a very close game. So big win for Iowa State. Could get them going right now, get them a little going because I think they're tied with West Virginia. We'll get to them in a little bit in the Big 12 Conference. Kansas played great. You make 18 threes against them and you, you on the road, you deserve to win. I, I, I agree. It, this game was coming for Iowa State. They had to get one of these wins if they wanted to give Monte Morris and the rest of that team a chance to play in March. Um, this game just might do that. Gus, the next one infuriates me. I'm angry tonight. Uh, it's an angry Mike Randall tonight. The Baylor Bears, you said last time with, with uh, Mike Krzyzewski, 
Opportunity lost. Kansas State 56, number two Baylor 54. If someone is going to knock off Kansas and prevent them from getting the 13th straight Big 12 championship, you can't have games like this. This is a bad, bad loss for Baylor. They trailed the entire game. Under four minutes left in the first half, Kansas State was winning by 19 points. It's unacceptable if you want to be the Big 12 champion and stop Bill Self's drive for 13. Still down 46-28 with 13-39 left. That's 18. They have 28 points in almost a game and a half, in a, in a, in a three quarters of the game. Now here we go. It was 55-51 K-State with 45 seconds left. Manu LeConte turnover. After that turnover, LeConte gets the ball back. He walks down. He hits a moonshot three-pointer from the top of the key. He was like 30 feet. Did you see that shot? Yeah, it, was, it, was, it had a little bit more arc than a Steph Curry shot. Big shot. Now DJ Johnson comes down, misses two free throws. Lacan comes down, misses a contested jumper. We'll get to this end of sequence again because I've talked about this before. Yeah. D- DJ Johnson fouled, makes one of two. Gus Motley gets the ball down in the post. K-State guards the man. He is literally three feet from the basket. He turns around. They don't want to foul him. He misses the bunny. Motley, you can't miss that shot. You just can't do it. D- um Baylor gets the ball out of bounds, however. I give Drew credit. He drew up an inbounds play on a lob to Motley off the four across on the baseline, uh, like a little screen-to-screener action, shockingly. Yeah. And it gets blocked by who else? DJ Johnson. K-State with a huge road win. Baylor's now 7-3 and in conference. Kansas is 8-2. and Oh, by the way, Kansas is going to win tonight. Opportunity, Gus, lost. One takeaway from this, Motley, if you're going to be a first-team All-American, you make that play. You had two opportunities to make the play. You can make the play on the inbound play, or you can make the play at the rim and where you miss the bunny. If you're a first-team All-American, you make that play, and you win the game. Here, here's my problem with Baylor. I, I, I think they have the type of recipe, a Syracuse-esque recipe, to make the Final Four. The problem, Gus, is they play slow, All right, like all these other slow teams. Mm-hmm. But they don't play that much defense. They're not playing at much defense. They're playing their zone. On offense, it's basically... LeConte and Motley. And there's nothing else. I mean, I thought King McClure after the Louisville game would give us more. This team is, is – this is why they struggle. They need to have someone else. I mean, Wainwright, Freeman, these guys can score, and they're not doing it. So they're going to limit possessions, like you said. They are terrible at executing down the stretch. They're terrible. They were lethal in Kansas. It's LeConte who's undersized. It's Motley. They are not good. They have to be winning. They must be in control of the game down the stretch. That's a lot of ifs. Team that isn't deep, team that doesn't have a lot of scores, team that has to be leading, worried about them. Can they beat Kansas and Waco? Absolutely. But they have to start getting some scoring from somebody else. I think you slipped in a we there, didn't you, when you were talking? I did. You hear the way? I did. I'm so emotionally invested. I caught it. Oh, my God. So I love you're so invested in the Bears. I I am. It's ridiculous. I, I because they can do this. They, uh, uh. Hey, I think the best thing right now is just to move on. And let's add some humor, shall we? Addicted to quack, Oregon rolls all over Arizona. Unpredictably so. Oregon is officially back in the Final Four race. Uh, by the way, they, Gus, because I actually have a soundbite from the game. Do you want to hear what it's like at Oregon? Here it comes. Uh, please. Yeah, it's funny. All the fans just sound like a buzzsaw. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> All those people there, Phil Knight, the whole thing. Uh, it was a whipping from start to finish. The Ducks are now 21-3. and They're tied atop the Pac-12 with Arizona. 10-1 uh, and record, of course. This comes one game after a 71-70 home win over Arizona State. That was a definite look-ahead game. Uh, let's take a Let's take a look at a play, shall we? You want three-point percentage? You want field goal and assist differential or score with five minutes left? Man, I got to tell you what. Any place you look here, this is just annoying. It's Oregon. It's quacky. It's it's that unbelievably fluorescent yellow. Man, I, I'm not exactly sure where to go with this game, except it was just ugly to watch. You felt like Arizona was hot coming in. And Oregon just kind of slapped it to him and kind of brought him back down to earth. 
And maybe this is like uh, we can throw this into the term that we threw out last po- podcast with like Florida State. Maybe it's just a market correction for Arizona. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, here are the stats for you on this one. You summed it up perfectly. Oregon is 16 of 25 from three-point range. <laughs> that's, that's 64%. Gus, they were 65% from the field. They only shot 11 free throws at home, which shows you how hot they were. You want to do the assist differential? How about 26 to 8 assist differential with Arizona? And how about the score with five minutes left to go in the first half? The number five team in the country had 11 points. (laughs) And Oregon at 36. 36 to 11 with five minutes left. An old-fashioned whipping. Arizona had been playing great for a long period of time. Oregon won to announce their back. Hey, King Mark from Florida, when you were ripping on my Oregon pick because they lost to Georgetown, how do you like them apples, my friend? Quack, quack. Hey, I'm so glad that you uh, – did you change your avatar back from the sailfish yet? I did. I, I did change it back. Uh, we, we, we moved it back. And, and I got to tell you, the next title for me – this is a little personal, Gus, but it's green screen and we get a little personal t- occasionally. Where's John Denver now, West Virginia fans? Oklahoma State 82, West Virginia 75. This is this podcast version of I Can't Figure Them Out, the West Virginia Mountaineers. The game was in Morgantown. Oklahoma State wins. If the Mountaineers, Gus, cannot press you and they cannot turn you over, they really, really, really struggle. Jeffrey Carroll, Jawan Evans, Phil Forte, three guards for the Cowboys, Oklahoma State, combined four three-pointers, 17-18 from the line, 51 points in Morgantown. Wow. They're, those three guards are good. Yeah, they're, get, they're getting hot. Yeah, Carroll's a little bit underrated. We've talked about Jawan Evans, how he's unbelievably talented. Maybe, I mean, right behind Frank Mason III, maybe the best point guard in the Big 12. Those three guys can win games, and they're proving it right now, and they proved it in West Virginia. It was a very close game throughout. The teams are really mirror images of each other in terms of how they're going right now in the season. Oak State's 15-8. and eight. They're 4-6 and six in conference, going the right way. West Virginia's 18-5, and 6-4 and four in conference, going the wrong way. Let's take a closer look at the Oak State resume, Gus, because I think they're, mm. try- they're getting their way back into the NCAA tournament here. For sure. So far this year, they've beat Georgetown by 27. They won at Wichita by one. That's an impressive win. Lost at Maryland by one. Impressive loss. Lost at Baylor by four in a very, very close game. That's when Baylor was scalding hot. They lost six times in the conference. You would think a team that lost six times in a row would not be making the tournament, but hold on a second. They've won five in a row now, including Arkansas in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, and they welcome on Wednesday night the Baylor Bears to Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma State. Huge tournament implication game for them. You know what? West Virginia started the year off in fine fashion with a 12-1 and record. Their only loss coming against Temple, and that was one of those like vacation games where yep. nothing was right. Right, uh, They won at Virginia. Unbelievable. They won at Oklahoma State by 17 previous to this. They lost at Texas Tech by one in that overtime game. Uh, that Texas Tech was fighting for a really bad coach. Beer did a great job. They blew out TCU at home, who had been playing well. They blew out Baylor at home by 21. They barely won at Texas in that scraper game where they won by two or three. Uh, They lost at home to Oklahoma, if you remember, which was a really baffling loss. Uh, Then they lost on the road to Kansas State. They beat Kansas at home by 16, and then they just lost to Oklahoma State. I... It's maddening trying to figure them out. It's unbelievable. It's it's just like this like crossword puzzle that you can't put together. It is summed up to me why I have said all year, stay away from them when it comes to the NCAA tournament. You don't know what you're getting. The only conclusion I can draw from the data here as a college basketball scientist, like we both are, is that they get up for the big games. They get up for Baylor at home. They get up for Kansas at home. But Gus, they're very pedestrian on the road. And they're getting beat by mediocre Big 12 teams, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at home. Not good. Yeah, I think that speaks a little bit to the great coach that Coach Huggins is. He gets his guys ready to play in those big games. But maybe, maybe these other games, maybe it's just telling us the truth at where their talent level is. 
Yeah, and listen, if Huggins is a great coach, there's no doubt. But part of being a great coach is beating the teams you're supposed to beat. They yep. are not doing that. So that's fantastic. If they were to get to the Final Four and played against Kentucky or Kansas, they'd play great. You know what the problem is, big guy? You could be going against Princeton or Harvard or Columbia or Yale in that first game and have a heck of a lot of trouble. And that's yep. what I'm worried about them. Everyone scores six. I don't like those type of teams. I think you're going to like the next team that we get to. And I think Eric Foster will also like the next team that we highlight. Uh, the next place that we'll go to, Kentucky has flaws. Number 24, Florida, whips up on Kentucky, 88-66. to 66. First thing here, Kentucky is good. Let's just start right there. A few pods back, we went, we went in through and mentioned how balanced they were on both sides of the ball, citing some Ken Palm stats. It's worth revisiting those stats one more time. Uh, here's a list of today's Ken Palm teams with a top 25 defensive efficiency and a top 25 offense efficiency. Ready? Here's the list. Gonzaga, predictable. UVA, Mike, I know you're surprised they're there. Nova, West Virginia is still there. Kentucky, Purdue, Florida State, and you're ready for the last two surprises? And we gave you both of these teams as stock ups a few weeks back. One familiar face is one team that we've already mentioned is Wichita State, and the other is SMU. And Florida is in that group. So yes, Florida is on that short list of 10 teams that is looking to make the second weekend. And now Kentucky, you know what? We're always so quick to forget that Coach Cal is always working with three freshmen playing major minutes that make major league decisions in big-time crucial moments in-game, and they're constantly playing against veteran guards, like the veteran guards at Kansas or the veteran guards at Florida or even J.J. Frazier at Georgia. That is hard for anybody in the nation, especially Hard for freshmen, even Kentucky's uber-talented freshmen. The learning curve is really steep, and you know what? We're blinded by the fact that they're so talented that that talent just exudes from them. Like you, you see the Monk highlight of the 47 points. You see Fox like break somebody down and break their ankles. But we forget the learning curve for these freshmen is really steep. Kentucky is still missing on something on the defensive end. I don't know what. I'm going to trust the coaching staff gets it done. And, and closes the gap and, and, and finishes the job that they're trying to do on the defensive end there. But it's very much a work in progress with this many frosh on the floor making that many decisions, possession after possession. You know what? Kentucky people got they got spoiled. That near undefeated team with Cat from 2015 just doesn't happen all the time. But for some weird reason, Kentucky folks expect it to happen year after year after year. And you know what? They expect it unfairly so. So I'm going to say LSU this weekend, watch out, because I think the this version of the Kentucky Wildcats is going to let out a beatdown that they've been waiting to put on the whole SEC, and I'm really sorry, LSU. I think it's coming your way in a big way next game for the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, at this point, I'm going to say Kentucky is what they are. I, I don't know if Calipari and Kentucky are just going to magically get it together and fix these issues. The issues are real. Bam is struggling in the post, and he's been horrific lately from the free throw line. Malik Monk is a fantastic scorer, but what they're fine people are doing is, unless he's shooting threes in the half court or out on the break, he is not a break-you-down, off-the-dribble, half-court guy, get-in-the-gap-between-the-two-three zone scorer. Mm -hmm. He's not, and that's a weakness. That player is Fox. Now, Fox was rumored to not be playing in this game. He led them with 19, one of only two guys with doubles. And he was 9-10 from the free throw line, 5-11 from the field. He played pretty well. But this is a problem for Kentucky. Now, the flip side, in my opinion, Gus, is every top team is flawed. We started this year talking about these teams at the top and how dominant they could be. Duke is flawed. Kansas is flawed. Villanova's had some warts. So, I think Kentucky can definitely make the Final Four. They can definitely win the national title. But Calipari's got to get it going because right now what he has is De'Aaron Fox, who's playing great, Malik Monk, who's an incredible scorer. But if you can make him a half-court drive-to-the-basket guy, he doesn't exist. Briscoe cannot make a jump shot. Gabriel's in and out. And Adebayo is not giving the Carl Anthony Towns-like effort. 
that is a tricky, tricky situation for him to navigate. You know what? You brought up something that's, I think, really apparent right now. Unfortunately, I think the book is out a little bit on Malik Monk, and I think some people have figured out how to defend him best. Maybe that's a carryover effect of Fox not being 100% the last couple of games and even missing a game. I'm not sure, so I kind of want to see him get back to full strength, maybe have them put some of the puzzle pieces together. But it seems like the stats tell us and the box scores tell us that maybe people have figured Monk out a little bit on how to defend him a little bit more efficiently. Yes, and if the other guy starts scoring like Bam or Briscoe gets hot, Willis comes in, stretches the floor, Monk's going to be murder. But Gus, they have had Kentucky has these periods of five to six minutes where they don't play defense or they miss shots. They had against South Carolina. They were up big. They let them back in the game. They had it against Kansas in the second half. They went zone. All of a sudden, Kentucky's just staring at them. They have had consistent eight minute, six to eight minute gaps where they don't do anything. And that's what Calipari, Calipari has to work on. But listen, they have super talent, as much talent as anyone, and they can definitely, you know, write the ship soon. So speaking of writing the ship, what recipe or what uh, non-recipe can you give for Virginia solving itself or untangling itself out of this, even with a nice win over Louisville this evening? Can you give us some sort of prescription, like maybe a Dr. Tony prescription for for the UVA uh, Cavaliers, please? I'm boiling right now, Gus. So I'm going to ask, can you do the summary of this game, please? And I will come in afterward because I'm boiling right now. And I'm afraid our G podcast would not be G at the end of this. So why don't you just go through it, okay, please? (laughs) All right. So here's the stat. Ready? This, This one's a little crazy. UVA has lost only two games the past four years or so when they're up 10 in the second half. Both of those games are to Syracuse, which is nuts. So Coach Patino calls UVA uh, Louisville's kryptonite. Well, the orange appear to be UVA's weird kryptonite in this like true ACC triangle of superpowers. Um, as challenging as the UVA D is to solve, and they have the third-ranked uh, defensive efficiency uh, by Ken Palm currently – um, and they've been trading like the top three positions with South Carolina and Louisville all season. The orange zone just gives UVA fits and seemingly only so in the second half. So Cuse takes down then number six Florida State at home. And now they take down another top 10 team in UVA. It seems like they're working their way back into the field of 68. Very similar to the script that they had last year. Uh, the John Gillum experiment seems to be working very well to point. They shoot it very well from deep, just a hair under 40% as a team. So unorthodox D, a high-level three-point shooting team, a difference maker who wants to prove two big-time programs wrong, Andrew White III. He is playing at an all-ACC level. That kind of recipe right there speaks to Syracuse might do something big again this year, moving on to March. Oh, and you know what? Congratulations to Coach. Uh, uh, to coach. A thousand wins is a thousand wins. Do you think he might be using that as a motivator a bit? Nah, I don't think so. He doesn't care about that kind of stuff, right? Coach Beheim, congratulations on your thousands win. Um, we're so honored to be able to see some of those uh, in the old Big East and now the new ACC. Congratulations. All right, guys, you ready? Bring it. <laughs> we have to keep it real here on the Screen the Screener podcast about stay true to who you are. Just like the Patriot fans would tell you last night, Gus, that that win was Tom Brady just dragging him through the muck, throwing, you know, window throwing, bringing him down. Listen, that was a great comeback by the Patriots, a spectacular Super Bowl, very exciting. But let's keep it real. Atlanta handed them the game. If Atlanta doesn't do the things that they did, Tom Brady doesn't do anything. Tom Brady's not on the field when they strip Matt Ryan. Tom Brady's not on the field when they decide to pass the ball on the 22-yard line and he gets sacked for 12. So let's talk about Virginia. Tony Bennett has done a phenomenal, phenomenal job for Virginia. He gets more out of his team than anyone in the country. I give them all the credit in the world. He's got them playing well. He's got them winning some big games. They play together. That is really nice. Let me tell you something. They're going nowhere in March. Zero. They have no chance of getting to the Final Four, and they'll be lucky to get to the Elite Eight. Not for anyone's 
fault. They're just not that good. You can't tell me, Gus, that a team that has Parentis with his vertical jump of maybe a foot and a half, <laughs> maybe, okay, averaging hey, 11 points. Leave London alone. Nah, just- and, and he's great. This is just, again, this is not just because Atlanta gagged it doesn't mean that New England doesn't win the title. But let's not make it more than it is. You can't tell me, Gus, in an Elite Eight game with three minutes left to go that you think Mariel Shayok and Kyle Guy are making shots down the stretch. Kyle Guy is averaging 18 minutes a game. Isaiah Wilkins, seven points per game. Darius Thompson, six points per game. They have no go-to player. Everything's got to be perfect. And listen, tonight's game, say what you want. They're playing a Louisville team that is undermanned, that's missing four key players, and they're losing for most of the first half at home. I understand they play slow. I understand they control pace. God forbid they get a fast break, London. I understand that. We're going to take 25 seconds off the clock. I just refuse to believe, Gus, that in March, in big games, that eight seconds left on every single shot clock, they're going to be able to beat those high-quality teams with Mariel Shayok shooting jump shots. I just don't say it. I, I think at some point, the more talented Kentuckys, UNCs, those type of teams will play harder, and then it'll be up to Devin Hall to drop 23, which he's not doing. I am done with Virginia. Tremendous job, Tony Bennett. Overachieving Tony Bennett. Great job. You ain't sniffing the Elite Eight, and you certainly ain't making the Final Four because you just don't have the talent. So one of the deciding factors that Mike and I will talk about when we break down some brackets, um, one of the things that we'll look at is who has more pros on the court. Like which team in this matchup has more pro potential on the court? And if you take a quick look at UVA, I don't know. Is anybody jumping out at you as a pro? I mean, Malcolm Brogdon did last year, of course, and he's having a great rookie season with the Bucks right now. But th- does anybody else jump off? I mean, do you think like maybe London Prentice could be a backup point guard in a great system like maybe, say, the Spurs or something like that? Gus, maybe- Jack Salt is averaging 19 minutes a game. <laughs> I'm sorry. I- yeah, nobody's jumping off the page at you, but I think that's by design. But also, I think just talent-wise, I agree they don't have like that gigantic difference maker like they did last year with Malcolm Brogdon, who's a first-team All-American, first-team All-ACC. And Gus, they still could make the Final Four with him. That's my point. Right, right. So I, I, I'm a little bit on board with you as far as the talent gap goes. But system-wise, I mean, just take a look at Syracuse last year with their zone. They make the Final Four run last year, so I'm not underselling the system and the coaching. College basketball is still part of the part of the equation of the of success in college basketball is the system and the coaching. Totally true. I, I listen. I, I'm I'm on record right now. I know they have great numbers, Ken Palm, all that stuff. That's fantastic. At least Syracuse had athletes, like big time athletes, like Malachi Richardson. What was he averaging? 14 a game, 12 a game. They don't have anyone averaging double digits except for Parentis. And by the way, Gus, can you really win a game without fast breaking when you know freedom of motion is emphasized? <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I am down on Virginia. I am high on Tony Bennett. And I am high on getting the most. No one gets more of his players. Jack Salt's not taking him to the Final Four. I'm sorry. Put it down. It's on record. Mike Randall, not a Wahoo fan. You know what? If you have a big, which you're th- you're saying that UVA might need like a better big than Jack Salt, but if you have a big, you can pretty much win anywhere, and Purdue proved that. What a win! What a win! They have, they have a big. Uh, we called this game as maybe a blowout in our previous podcast, and boy, were we wrong! It was anything but. The game was in the hand of Mike Randall's guy, Kevin Herter. He got a great look at a three-pointer to win the game for Maryland after Isaac Haas makes a game potential game-winning interception, and he just starts walking back up the court and got called for a travel. The ball goes immediately back to Maryland. Maryland calls a great inbound play. Herter gets an unbelievable look at three. It rims out, and, and Purdue gets a sneak out of there with a win. And I think you know we talked about how Bill Self is wiping the sweat from his brow. I think Haas is wiping the set from sweat from his brow right there. Um, the Purdue big, bigs got Justin Jackson in some foul trouble, which forced Maryland to look elsewhere for scoring help for Melo Tremble. He didn't find any. He had an okay game, put up 22-5, and five, not the greatest shooting percentage day for Melo, but there was nobody else that could help him out. 
There were a couple other players in double figures, but nobody that made a huge impact. And Mike mentioned that this was the first ranked team that Maryland played this season and a tough one-point loss to a very good Purdue team who he listed on that top uh on the top uh, 25 defensive defensive efficiency and top 25 offense efficiency team list. Uh, so Purdue was in that list. They're very good. Uh, and speaking of good, Caleb Swanigan, unbelievable again. Purdue's down four, about minute 30 to go. And what does Biggie do? Pulls up for three, nails a big three, and he finished with his usual double-double, 26 points and 10 boards. Um, you know what was cool? It was cool to see two of the top five, I don't know, four or five Big Ten players go head-to-head here uh, and show their wares and like make their case for player of the year against one another. Purdue, big win. They stay in the race for the Big Ten. Maryland, tough loss. This win really could have put them in some command. Moving forward, it just plays into the crazy weekend. Normally, this game might like lead our podcast or be like, hey, did you see that Purdue-Maryland game? And this weekend, because this weekend was so crazy, it gets buried and gets lost. So great game, great underrated game. Uh, Biggie goes off, big three-pointer, huge double-double. Mellow can't pull it out for the Terps this time. Totally thought this game was going to be close. It was a nail-biter. It was everything we could have hoped for and more. I wanted Maryland because I felt they weren't getting enough respect. But in the end, head versus heart. Purdue pulled it out. You've been on Purdue. Caleb Swanigan is a first-team All-American, period. Lock it up. It's over. He's on the team. I've yeah. seen it. I've seen enough. This, What this guy is doing is top-five draft pick worthy. Gus, the guy's averaging 19.1 points per game, 12.8 rebounds. He also is shooting 50% from three. Now, folks, this is a 6'9", 250-pound man. Very impressive. Huge guy. He's 27 of 54 from three, and he looks good doing it, Gus. It is a very smooth-looking shot. He doesn't get into foul trouble. Kudos to Painter for putting Isaac Haas on the bench and bringing him in now. Haas is steady at 13 points per game now. Vince Edwards, Carson Edwards. How about Carson Edwards making two free throws as a freshman, by the way, at the end of the game? Great great win for Purdue. Tremendous win. Uh, Speaking of tremendous wins... Duke needed a tremendous win with Coach K returning to the bench. Number 21 Duke wins 72-64 to over an erratic Pittsburgh team that nobody can get a handle on. Um, can someone, anyone, please, you know, Twitter the show, email the show, can somebody please figure out Pittsburgh for us, please? I, I don't think that anybody can. They're maddeningly inconsistent, and I, I can't get a handle on them. I as as frustrated as you are about UVA, and, and UVA has some validity and has some market value, and they're ranked in the top twenty-five. Uh, Pittsburgh is not, but I'm just as filibustered about them as as, as you are about UVA. Um, here's my question about Duke: Do you think Duke looked like they played out of like fear for Coach K and disappointing him, or did they play with like this yearning? To be better, I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what path they were playing with there, and what their motivation was. So I'm intrigued to see moving forward if they're going to play with it like this edge, like they don't want to disappoint Coach K, uh, and him coming back maybe a game or two early, or if they're playing to actually improve and to get better. Um, all right, you know what it's time for now? It's time to figure out what in the world is Duke's best lineup. Because they have all this talent. Um, people are getting suspended. People are getting benched in the second half. People are doing this. Like, what is their best lineup? Ready? Here's my, here's my two cents on their best lineup. How about if they go Kennard uh, and Allen, Tatum, Jefferson, and Jackson? That's right. They'll have multiple ball handlers. They can switch almost everything on defense with those five guys. They can run some sick pick and rolls. They can run a pick and pop. Um, and if another team goes big, guess what? You bring in Giles or Jeter off the bench. Um, if you need some toughness, then you bring in Matt Jones. Uh, I wonder if they can find a flow with this lineup or any lineup. I'm not really sure. Let's see if they can recapture that number one preseason ranking. 
You know, I'm going to say it's a great rundown. I'm going to say here, if they want to get the magic going, you got to go upperclassmen. I don't think Frank Jackson can be on the floor. I, I, he's not. He's a freshman. He's not a huge scorer. Tatum seems to be at a different level. I just don't think they can they can win games if, with, with Jackson on the floor for heavy minutes. I think he's sort of a, a, a microwave Vinnie Johnson guy. Honestly, to answer your question, Gus, I think they got to put Matt Jones in there. And I know he's limited in terms of attacking the basket, but he's a senior. He's a hard-nosed player. He also knows his role. The the, the Allen, Kennard, Tatum, Jackson group, I feel like their, their their roles are mixed, and that's the problem here. I was very disappointed. I expected this. We talked. To, I was talking on Twitter to one of our followers. I really expected this to be a blowout win. He's a Duke fan. He said it's not going to be. They're not playing well right now, and he was totally right. Pittsburgh yeah. loses at home to Clemson or basically lost to the Clemson-Jaron Blossom, Blossom game team. And now all of a sudden they, they struggle and they beat Pitt. I'm with you. I, I'm concerned about Duke because he's got to get that chemistry right. Otherwise, his team is not going far in March. So to be the man, you've got to beat the man, Mike Randall. We mentioned this game a little bit earlier. Wichita State put a beat down on Illinois State, 86 to uh, 50, uh, 45. Yeah, I, uh, Illinois State was down their best, maybe their best player in McIntosh. He's probably going to be like a first-team All-Valley Valley type guy, but he's not worth 40 points. Still, the road goes through the Shockers, and guess who came up huge for the Shockers in this particular game? The first player that we ever mentioned on the first ever Screen the Screener podcast ever broadcast out to the airwaves. That's right, Connor Frankham. There he is. He came up with 18 <laughs> points and four big made threes. The Redbirds still have a little work to do if they want to go ahead and challenge the Shockers, and they cannot afford another trip up before the conference tournament. And I'm hoping both of these teams make it in March because I think they're both live. Um, we gave you kind of like a, a stock up for the Redbirds a couple uh, podcasts back along with Wichita State. Both of these teams are dangerous. Uh, I kind of want to see them meet in the conference finals when the Valley has their awesome tournament that they have uh, that starts a little bit earlier. Doesn't their tournament start like a little bit earlier yeah, than everybody yeah, else? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, so let's get, them, let's get those two teams on the floor in the final so we can all enjoy it, and hopefully they both get, a, both get a bit in March. You were totally right about this game. You were all over it. There's no way that McIntosh is making up 40 points. He ain't making up 30 points. The spread was 9.5. They're totally covering it. Wichita State is still the champ. The champ is here. You, gotta, you want to beat the man, you got to beat the man. Illinois State's going to have to beat him again if they want to get to the, the, this, the NCAA tournament. Uh, last one we'll do here, Gus. Uh, let's call it relocation irrelevant. Because of the water issue, North Carolina Notre Dame was switched to Greensboro. Number 12, North Carolina, 83, Notre Dame, 76. This is a game that we thought was going to be a blowout, but only if it was played in North Carolina. Once the game gets switched to a different location, all bets are off. Carolina left, and they stayed in a hotel the night before. This becomes, in essence, some sort of road game. Now, you're going to say it's better for North Carolina. I don't agree. Notre Dame feels comfortable in Greensboro. It's a friendly arena. They won the the ACC tournament there in 2015. Good point. Uh, so they were comfortable the entire game. UNC had it. It did get down to two when a VJ Beecham three, but with his good VJ Beecham, this bad VJ Beecham. This was good. He had 20 points. He had a three with under four minutes left to get him within two. But number 12 UNC beats number 20 ND, 83-76. Gus, they killed him on the backboards, 44-25. to Very predictable backboard uh, and rebounding margin. We kind of thought that that was going to happen in this particular matchup because the warts that Notre Dame has begun to show in ACC play just came up full force here against UNC. And that's all UNC does. UNC boards, they offensive board, they look to outlet immediately, and they just got outsized, outworked, outboxed out, outreached, outwingspanded. Any kind of term you want to put in accordance to rebounding is what happened to Notre Dame here. And we knew that that was going to be the deciding factor in this game, and it, and it ended up being that. I still want to see if Notre Dame can implement something that's going to, you know, at least correct a little bit of this shortcoming. Uh, or if not, maybe they just have to outshoot teams. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think ND's in trouble. I was high on ND earlier this year. They have no fifth starter. They get nothing out of that fifth guy. They have no bench. Gibbs and Fluger have got to give them more. There's been flashes, flashes like at Virginia Tech gives it well, but they've got to give them more because they are so small inside. They don't hit the boards. Carolina, Gus had six guys in doubles. They had no Theo Pinson, which is really the only reason I think it was close, and they were only 6 of 13 from three-point range, which could be connected to the fact the game was in Greensboro. 
I'm just glad they got the game in and didn't have to go someplace else wacky. Uh, so nice job by the ACC and good job out of both of those programs. And I think that we are due and we owe the listeners a very, and I mean very, rapid fire walk down Broadway. Does that sound okay, Mike Randall? Yeah, sounds good. Sorry, guys. There was a lot going on this week and we had to get to it. We'll give you a rapido Broadway segment. You ready? Yes, sir. On Broadway. All right, I'm ready to roll. I'm on the couch, Gus. You're the psychiatrist here. You have the PhD in hoop, uh, hoopology. I'm just going to react. Go ahead. Okay. So we have 21, Maryland, heading down to Happy Valley and Penn State. Penn State have a chance for the upset here. Anytime you're on the, your interdivision, interconference game where you're, you're hosting and you're the underdog, absolutely do. This is a big game for Maryland. Maryland. Win this game and everyone was wrong. You're still really good. You lose this game, you're in a tailspin. Goes back to what you mentioned earlier. Let's win the games you should win. This is a game that you should win. I know it's going to be hard on the road, but Maryland, win the game you should win. How about Alabama heading to one of your favorites, number 19, South Carolina? South Carolina just going to keep marching forward and doing what they do? Or does Avery Johnson and Alabama have a shot here? Cue the buzzsaw. Don't look now. South Carolina's in first place all along in the SEC. They're going to be excited, fired up at home. They take care of business against Alabama. I agree. I think they see this as an enormous opportunity, especially after the Florida-Kentucky result. I think that they keep rolling ahead. Speaking of the SEC, LSU catches number 15 Kentucky at Rupp. Are they due for an explosion, or is this going to be another trip-up game for Kentucky? I haven't seen Kentucky explode all year. I haven't seen the explosion coming. I don't think we're going to see it here. I think Kentucky will win, but they lost on the road to Tennessee. They got blitzed at Florida. Why all of a sudden are they going to come home and win by 30? I don't see it. I think Kentucky wins, but I think it's closer than people think. Mm, Interesting. Maybe a fishy line there. Uh, URI comes in hot, burning hot. We talked about how E.C. Matthews is looking a little bit more healthy. They head to UMass. Always a tough place to play. Remember, Dayton lost there earlier. What's going to happen here? I think UMass comes up with a really big fight here at home, but I think URI is too hot, and they see the A-10 title in front of them. I think URI wins a very, very close game up in UMass. I agree 100% with your assessment here. I think this game is going to go down to the last possession or two. I think URI pulls it out. Georgetown, old school Big East matchup here. Georgetown heads to number two, Nova. Georgetown's been playing well. They have a little life. They have a chance for the upset here? A slim. I think Nova got past their bad area with the St. John's blowout. I kind of lean towards a big Nova win here. I do too. I think that Georgetown kind of got right. I think that they'll kind of get corrected here. I think after this game, I think they'll still continue to play well, but I expect a a Villanova win here as well. How about number 17, Florida, going down to Georgia? Georgia played Kentucky very tough at Kentucky. Are they going to get tripped up here after the game? Are they going to have like the hangover loss? Yes, I think they are. They've been playing so well. Georgia has been fighting tough. That is a hangover loss. That's a slow start waiting to happen. I'm rooting for Florida. I hope I'm wrong, but I have a feeling Georgia takes this one. Coach Fox will probably have some gimmick lined up, and I bet J.J. Frazier just wants to go out with one more big win. Maybe this is the big win he'll get. Who knows? Hmm. Syracuse is an underdog at Clemson, Mike Randall. What says you? Uh, Listen, you're the fishy line guy. I am not good at this. I saw that and started laughing. I have watched Clemson. Blossom game was my first team All-American. or I think it was first team. No way. Syracuse should not be an underdog there. The zone slows them down. I think Syracuse takes it. I don't care about the line. I don't care about the line either. I think Syracuse sees this as another opportunity to further and bolster their March resume. Give me the orange. Number 22, Butler, heads into the danger zone. The danger zone that is Marquette. Does Marquette pull another upset here? They're, they beat Villanova at home. Why wouldn't they beat the schizophrenic Butler? We talked about them last time, contender, pretender. Yes, I think Marquette beats them. Ooh, that would be two nice wins for Marquette. Yeah, wow. Wojo's doing a great job. Wojo's doing a great job at Marquette. We, we might need to start talking about them in the tournament now. I like that. Absolutely. All right. uh, part of rivalry week, of course, Michigan State at Michigan. Who do you got? I am so fascinated by this game. I am too. Because of my struggles predicting Michigan State, I am so fascinated. 
Michigan laid an egg against Ohio State at home. I'm waiting for their senior guards to take over. I'm going to go back to Sparty, Gus. <laughs> I am. I, I am. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I think that Michigan is not going to foul anybody. I think they're going to slow down the pace and play very efficiently offensively. But I think Michigan State is going to have the best player on the floor with Bridges. I'm going to lean towards Sparty as well. How about we go to Wednesday? You have to give the people a pick on the number six Baylor Bears going to Oklahoma State. This is a definite danger zone game. Mike Randall, are your Bears going to in trouble again? I am entitled to find the result of number six Baylor going to Oklahoma State. You want answers? I'm entitled. You want answers? Mike Randall, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Oklahoma State's pulling the upset against Baylor right now. I'm calling it. <laughs> what? Oh, that's unprecedented. I did not think that was going to be coming. Oh, Three guards against the zone on the road. Very disappointed. Very, very disappointed. Oklahoma State's hot. Underwood's done a great job coming over from Stephen F. Austin. Yes, I'm taking Oklahoma State to beat Baylor. No one knows Baylor like me. They're going down in this game. That's true. Nobody knows Baylor like you. Uh, last one we'll touch on. How about NC State going down to number 14? Florida State. Does NC State and their talented uh, roster have any chance against uh, Florida State and the Seminoles? Well, after seeing Florida State put up 50 in the first half against uh, Clemson, I think it was, and their fourth 100-point game, I think I'll stick with the Seminoles at home, Gus. I'll stick with them at home as well. Um, this is not your. This is not the Duke game where it was, everybody was a little flustered. I'm going to take the Seminoles as well. Uh, you know what? We've gotten to that point, listeners. Thank you for hanging with us. We're just going to say thank yous. Thank you to our new partners at the Almighty Baller Network. Looking forward to some NBA knowledge. You know where to find those guys. Go take a look. They're funny. They're informative. They're passionate about NBA hoops. Got to love them. want to say thank you to the tech department. Thanks for allowing uh, Gus to send out like 20 Gonzaga tweets this past weekend and not getting mad at him. Thank you so much, tech department. We appreciate your uh, flexibility. Technology. Oak State. Oak State, nice. <laughs> Thank you, Beljar. You guys are the best. Uh, look for those guys on CD Baby and iTunes. Uh, they're still rocking out. Uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning in and finding time during your week uh, for the Screen the Screener podcast. Thanks for plugging us into your earbuds. Thanks for carving out some time. And we hope that we fill the void that the NFL season ending has caused for you. Let us fill that void, please. Season, NFL season's over. College basketball's here. Huge weekend. Big week coming up. We'll see you on Thursday night. Rate us, support us, screen the screener podcast. We're on fire.